finally, we are on to our last speaker. Please welcome Susan B. from the East Coast by way of Marin, who will share for 20 minutes on the spiritual recovery aspect of compulsive overeating. Thank you so much, um, and thank you for asking me to participate. I'm Susan, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm thrilled to be here. It kind of feels like coming home. Even though I don't know a lot of you, there are quite a few people here I know. Um, so I'll tell a little bit about where I came from, and then I'll talk about my spiritual journey. Um, I attended my first OA meeting in Los Angeles on August 2nd, 1966. I was uh, four weeks shy of my 18th birthday. I came to OA because my sister told me to. Uh, I did not want to stop eating, but I did want to lose weight. And so I didn't really come for the right reasons, but I stayed for the right reasons. And um, it took me 10 years to get abstinent. Uh, I'll keep that very brief. For me, I had to give up trying to be perfect. I was um, constantly breaking my abstinence because I made a mistake. And I had to give myself permission to make a mistake. Um, so in terms of my spiritual journey, it's been quite an interesting process and a long one as well. I, uh, ju I just meant to mention, I started my abstinence on October 12, 1976. So, um, well, I, and I think the other speakers, I've gotten so much out of the shares today. It's really been wonderful. I remember somehow this memory came back to me while I was listening to um, the speakers. When I was 15 years old, I remember going to my rabbi and saying, how do you know there's a God? You know, I think that's a fairly typical age to be questioning something like that. And I still remember, and I remember where I was sitting, I remember, you know, the whole environment. And he said, what he said to me was, if you take the skin off or you open the body and you see how intricately everything works, how can you not believe in a God? And that made sense to me. I don't know why it was the right answer um, for me at the time. So when I came into OA, I believed in God, but I didn't feel worthy enough for um, any kind of relationship with God. I didn't think God had any interest in what I was doing or where I was going or what was happening in my life. God was too busy taking care of all those big things that were going on in the world. And, um, and I was pretty insignificant. So this whole, this whole low self-esteem really got in the way of my having a relationship with God. And so over the years, it's taken me a really long time to not just develop a relationship with a God of my understanding, but to also figure out what that was. I mean, who was this higher power? And, what did I want this higher power to be to me? Uh, some of the things that I remember doing, or actually one in particular, and I know there were others, but um, there was a prayer that uh, I heard at an OA meeting, um, Preston Heights and Olympic, that's where I went most of the time, was um, God reveal yourself to me. And I'm a slow learner. So uh, I said this prayer every day for months and months and months and months. And I don't, there was no epiphany, you know, there wasn't any big thing that happened. Uh, I, some of what I remember is, um, and I was just talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday or the day before, this was in the early 80s, I think, uh, a friend of mine from OA uh, 
single mom, two kids, was raped and murdered. And I remember talking to this friend about, you know, how can there be a God or what kind of God would let this happen? And what I came to was that I, that I didn't have to understand, that I wasn't going to understand. And um, that that's part of the nature of faith is not necessarily understanding, not necessarily knowing anything, but just, you know, having faith that, that God was taking care of whatever God needed to take care of. So uh, over the years, the thing that one thing that developed that I did that really helped me create a relationship with the God of my understanding and helped me to see who that higher power was, was dialogue writing. And um, this has been a tremendously powerful tool for me. It was um, a tool that this same friend introduced me to. And I'll tell you what it is. Um, it, it's not a letter to God. It's actually a dialogue. And when you look at it on a piece of paper, it looks like a play or a, a dialogue for whatever. So on the, on the left margin, I started off writing God and my name. And it, very quickly, I started using G and S because it's just shorter. And the, so I would start, I'd always start, and I'd almost always start saying something like, good morning, God, or here I am, or, you know, something innocuous like that. And the first thing I noticed is that God always spoke to me in the kindest, most loving terms. So I would write, and the first one, I remember the first one I did, I thought, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. I'm writing it. You know, this is my hand. I'm not using the alternate hand. It's just me writing. But when I read it out loud to somebody else, it, it shocked me. And it was amazing to me how different the two voices were. The rules I was given for writing these dialogues were that God gets to talk as much or more than me. And that was a really good rule for me because I like to talk. So, you know, it's not something I had to really um, consciously think about, but it was something I, it's kind of was like in the back of my mind. And I used these, this tool, this is how I did, this is how I did inventory writing. But I also think in so many ways, it was a, a way of doing prayer and meditation. Um, I've only been a regular meditator for the last year or two years or something. I can't keep track exactly. Maybe it's even a little longer than that. Because I would sit and try to meditate and I didn't understand that it was normal for your mind to wander when you meditate, which I now do understand, so I don't get on my case for it. But I would sit and try and meditate and I'd go off into all these directions and figure I was doing it wrong, so I'd stop doing it. Um, but when I would write, you know, it's like they say that um, prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening. And so I was writing to God and God was writing back to me and that was my listening. And I use this for many, many, many things in my life. Um, I'll give you one example uh, was Back in 1983, uh, things were not very good in my marriage, and uh, I thought that maybe I should leave, and I didn't. And I was scared. I'd already left a marriage. I I had two kids. I'd already been a single mom. I wasn't something I really wanted, but I was very unhappy. And I wrote. I kept asking God, should I leave? And God kept saying, not yet. God didn't say no. God said, not yet. And. Um, 
And I, I think this was about a four month period of time. And then one day I wrote and God said yes. And it was really difficult. Um, I didn't want it to be yes. I didn't want it to be no. I didn't know what I wanted because I was unhappy. But if I hadn't, if my husband and I hadn't separated at that period of time, we wouldn't still be together. I mean, we would have ended up getting divorced. And most people thought at that point we would end up getting divorced. But during that whole period of time that we were separated, which was a five month period of time, I, the dialogue writing is what saved me. It's what allowed me to connect to God. It helped me know that what I was doing was the right thing. I had complete faith that God was going to take care of me and that whatever happened, it was going to be for my good, whether it was we got back together or we ended up getting divorced. Um, it was that knowing that voice. And from that, I started to learn to recognize the difference between the voice in my head that was out to get me. We used to call it back in those days, the committee. Um, it was the, the negative voice. And I, you know, that negative voice has been with me for many, many years. And I learned the difference between that voice and God's voice. God's voice was never negative. God's voice was always positive, always loving, always supportive, um, and always wanting the best for me. The other thing I learned from doing that exercise was that um, I didn't have to make decisions by myself, that I could ask God for help, and that I could do my best to do God's will. And that if I'm um, sincerely attempt trying to do God's will, that I am in fact doing God's will. It says in the third step in the AA 12 and 12, that aligning my will with God's will is the proper use of my will, so that there is a use of my will. And I started to learn that if I had to make a decision between this and this, and I, that all it would be, there wouldn't be a right or wrong. I stopped using those terms, right or wrong. It was just this, this decision I'd learned one thing from, and this decision I'd learned something else from. And sometimes the something else was I should have gone made that decision. And, and nothing's, you know, most things are not irrevocable. So if I made this decision and I should have made this decision, I can oftentimes just go back and make that decision. So I stopped getting on my case about how stupid I was because I went to the right instead of going to the left. Um, it was like, it's just a different lesson. And that's, you know, like, that's what this life is all about, lessons. Uh, sometime in the mid 80s, um, I got involved in a meditation group. It was a meditation group. Um, it met somewhere in the San Gabriel Valley, I think. I don't remember that well. But it started off with uh, people from AA and OA. And there was a bunch of people from AA and OA. And, and there was a meditation leader. She was a, a, an AA person. And I started going to this group. And what I noticed over time was everybody else except me stopped going to meetings. I was the only one that kept going to meetings. It's like, I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm so grateful that I had a real strong basis in OA meetings. Um, and this meditation group turned into a cult. And I don't use that term lightly. It is what happened. And it took me a long time to get out of it. I mean, for me, it seemed like a long time. Um, but it really damaged my uh, conscious contact and my connection with God. And I, I, when I look back on it now, I, I don't know why, I'm not quite sure, because God didn't change at all. Um, somehow my relationship to what I thought was God from all the stuff that had gone on in this group changed. 
And it took me many, many, many years to try and get back to having a relationship with God. And what I finally learned was, because um, I, you know, this is what I learned in a way in terms of, of abstinence too, that I couldn't go back and do it the way I did it at the beginning, because I wasn't the same person as I was at the beginning. That I couldn't go back and do this relationship with God the way I did in the beginning or halfway through or whatever, because I was a different person that I had to create a relationship with God based on who I was that day. And, um, and I still struggled with that. And I still do sometimes even, even today. So, um, so stay away from cults. That's my advice. <laughs> not that I'm supposed to be giving any advice uh, or that any of you would ever do that. It was not ever my intention to get involved in something. Um, and it's been very interesting because I've gotten involved in other things that were not spiritually based that had a um, charismatic leader, shall we say. So it's something I have to really watch out for, that I tend to give people power, because, you know, for one reason or another. Um, so the other thing, um, so I think I mentioned I started meditating a, a, few years ago and I, I use a meditation app on my um, iPad or my phone and it's a guided meditation and I find that helpful to me because I do have that kind of a mind that goes like that a lot and um, it's been really great to learn that um, all I have to do is connect to my breathing and that that's meditation that it's normal for my mind to wander and all I have to do is bring it back to my breathing and that I'm not doing it wrong when I do that. That's been very valuable to me. So my routine, my spiritual routine today is, um, and I've been really good at doing this every day for a long time now. Um, I read, I read, well, no, first I do my med the meditation. Then I read Voices of Recovery. For a long time, I was just doing freeform writing, um, but I, I uh, have a sponsee I've had for about three and a half years who had a different sponsor before me, and her previous sponsor had her doing this exercise of writing five things uh, that she's grateful for. And I've never been real successful at doing a gratitude list. So I started sharing this with somebody else that I sponsor, and then it dawned on me that it might be a good idea for me to do that. <laughs> so lately, that's what I've been doing. I've been um, writing five things that I'm grateful for and um, three things I like about myself. And you try doing that. It's a challenge. Um, I, I know that this whole issue with low self-esteem is not unique to me. I know it's pretty common among compulsive readers. I don't know if it's common among other addictive people, but I know it's pretty common. And so to try and think of three things, three genuine things I like about myself. They can be physical, but, or they can be emotional, or whatever. But that can be a real challenge. And, it's, and then it's like, oh, I think I have to think of three different things every day. Uh, that's a challenge too. Uh, and, what's, and it's fascinating to, to listen to somebody else share what they like about themselves or what they're grateful for. It helps me remember you know, to be great, grateful for similar things or to recognize things in myself that I sometimes don't recognize. Um, just for today, uh, you know, 
nobody's surprised we're in a pandemic and we're having Zoom meetings because we can't meet in person. I'm a very much an extrovert. Uh, I crave physical contact. I like having interactions with people. And I feel very grateful that I have a husband in my house that, you know, that I can get hugs from because, I, you know, I'm sure I'd figure out a way. I'm sure I'd survive if I didn't have that because you all are, I mean, whoever you all are, there are people here that are living alone and you're surviving. But it's been, you know, it's been hard for me, even, even with that. And what I've learned to do, and I think this is very, for me, it's part of my spiritual program, is I'm learning to see the silver linings. So I started out away in Los Angeles, and I did, I was 20 plus years in Los Angeles. Then I moved to Marin. I lived in San Rafael for um, almost 30 years. And then two and a half years ago, I moved to North Carolina. Uh, you know, you could have blown me over with a, or whatever, however, whatever that expression is that I'd ever live in the South. Um, and I never thought I would leave California. I've been in California since I was three years old and I consider myself a California girl. So, but my younger son lives in Florida with my grandchildren, my daughter-in-law, and my older son and his husband moved to the area I'm living in now in Huntersville in North Carolina. And I never wanted to move to Florida. I don't like Florida. My husband doesn't like Florida. But when Rick and Jeff moved here and I came to visit, it was like, oh, I could live here. I like it here. It's really beautiful here. And it puts me closer to my son in Florida. And so here I am. And so that's one of those silver linings right now for me to be able to recognize that because I'm here, um, I'm close enough to my son. We live half a mile apart. Not wasn't what the plan, but it's how it ended up that I can walk by his house and have a visit with him, a socially distant visit with him. That's another silver lining. The place that I live um, is a beautiful neighborhood and I've been walking every day. That's part of what I'm doing during this quarantine. And I've discovered these trails in my neighborhood. I didn't even know they existed. That's another silver lining, you know. Um, so I think, you know, the silver linings to me are very spiritual and their messages. You know, there's a lot of different, uh, different ways to express spirituality. And, um, you know, gratitude to me is one of the ways to express spirituality and recognizing the gifts that I have from my higher power is another way to recognize the spirituality. And when I look back on my life, I mean, I've been in OA 50 plus years, and when I look back, so this is some of, you know, this is, may not sound like it's spiritual, but it's some of the stuff that I really feel are like our gifts from God. I was talking to my son, my younger son, um, or I was, I was visiting, I can't quite remember the whole, uh, how this all happened, but um, he said to me, we don't allow the word stupid in our house. And um, I think what happened was I was there and I'd made a mistake on something. And my grandson, who was quite young at the time, said, silly grandma. And, and Brian said, no, we don't allow the word stupid in our house. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been calling myself stupid for as far back as I can remember, especially when I do something wrong. Um, ever since then, I don't do that anymore. I call myself silly. Now, that's not. I'm not perfect with it, but mostly when I make a mistake, I just say, 
well, sometimes I just say silly grandma <laughs> because it, it kind of fits. And my husband and I will say that to each other. Like I'll say silly grandpa to him or he'll say silly grandma to me when we make a mistake. But that was a gift too from um, a sponsor I had when I did an inventory and I had to figure out how to make amends to myself. And it was instead of berating myself, because that's obviously not making amends to myself, was to ask myself, what would I say if it was one of you who'd called me up and said, I did X, Y, Z, what would I say to you? I would never say to you what I say to myself. So I asked myself, what would I say to you? And then actually say it to myself, not just think about, oh, that's what I would say to you, but actually say that to myself, using my name, talking to myself. So um, that's another gift, you know, there've been so many gifts. Uh, I'll tell you briefly, my, um, my uh, concept of the higher power and, and, you know, from, you know, from what the thing with the rabbi to where I am, to, you know, now is that I, I have two concepts of God. I used to think God was this, this big guy in the sky taking care of all the world's problem and didn't have time for me. And so I needed a personal God. So I actually developed a concept of a higher power that's quite personal to me. I don't share it with anybody. It, I feel like it's this God that lives in my heart, is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because this God is not busy with anything else. This God is only concerned with me. And that's great, but I also needed something broader than that. So I kind of have two concepts. So I have that concept, and then I have the concept of the all-knowing God that when I'm really worried about my kids or when I'm worried about my grandkids or I'm worried about what's going on in the world, I can turn that over to that God. Because that God isn't, you know, completely mine 24 hours a day. That God's busy taking care of uh, whatever else that is. And that's really worked, really worked well for me. And um, I discovered, you know, that that's the God I could look at and say, oh, see, that God is taking care of this issue over here that this person who works for me is having, or that God's taking care of this issue. Um, but when I need God, God is always there for me. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. So the, the greatest gift I think that I've gotten from God is this program. I came in when I was 17 years old. I had no intention of staying. What I found here was a family that I'd always looked for. It's something I wanted my whole life, was to have a family that I could count on, this big extended family. And that's what I have in a way. And the gift of um, you, I mean, I really feel like you are the gift that God has given me. And that has kept me coming back. Uh, that and the fact that I don't want to go back to compulsive overeating, of course. But it's more than that. If that's all I got was stopping eating, it wouldn't be enough. But all these gifts that I got from the program have been beyond anything I could have ever imagined. So with that, I'll stop. Thank you. Thank you, Susan.